And our next witness today is Anne McCormick. Anne, can you please state your full name for the record, spelling your first and last name? My name is Anne McCormick, A-N-N-M-C-C-O-R-M-A-C-K. And do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. Now, my understanding is you have a bachelor in pharmacy and pharmaceutical science from the University of Alberta. That's correct. And you practiced as a pharmacist for seven years? About seven years, yes. And then for family reasons, you let your license lapse. Right. But you went um, back as a uh, pharmacy assistant, unregulated, in May of 2020. Can I ask you uh, what happened to the previous employee? Oh, sure. Um, I had heard about this job. I was home on the farm. And the lady that I had replaced was so afraid of catching COVID uh, that she couldn't come to work anymore. She quit. Okay. And now... My understanding is as the pharmacy that you were working at um, was not selected initially to receive the vaccine. Can you explain with us kind of what happened and what happened with the pharmacy across the street? Sure, I'll, I'll try to. I think it's a, a large picture where um, a competition atmosphere was set up so that um, the vaccines were promoted. But I think it started... Um, very early at a federal level where the conservatives, the federal conservatives under O'Toole sort of accused the federal liberals under Trudeau of not being able to obtain any vaccines. And then the trickle down was that, you know, when these uh, doses were finally procured, uh, provinces would then distribute them. And so uh, doses of, of early doses of vaccine of all the brands were initially given to drugstores that could handle a, a high volume uh, based on the previous year's flu vaccines that they were distributing and, and injecting into people. And so we were a smaller drugstore and the drugstore across the street had a larger volume. They had a larger square footage, more staff. And so there became, you know, almost almost uh, the managers almost sort of had their nose out of joint that, you know, the government actually selected one business over another. Um, as, a, as a patient, if you chose to get the vaccine, you couldn't, you couldn't necessarily just go to your regular druggist, you know, especially if you had, um, you know, a date to get across the border, for instance, to Yuma. Um, it, it really set up a competition, and, and it took the individual's choice of, of who they went to for their, their health, I suppose you'd say. It, it took that choice away from the individual to some degree. Now, um, I, I presume that, and this is a smaller town, am I correct? About 1,400 people in Alberta, too, by the way, yeah. Yeah, so I presume that, um, you know, in a, I imagine it's the same in the city, but more so in a rural environment, pharmacist gets to know the patient and is familiar with the patient's medical history. Oh, absolutely. That, that's, a, that's the best part. I left being a pharmacist for lots of reasons, but the only thing that I really, really miss is seeing the same people every day doing their blood pressure. You know, we call them the senators. 
you know, all the old gentlemen would go and get their blood pressures done, then they'd go for coffee and compare their numbers, right? Like, it, it, it's a social thing. It, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful setup. It, it is a really loving environment. Yes. Right. But the thing is, is if with this policy where people have to go to a different pharmacy, they yeah. would be going to a pharmacist that does not know their medical history and record and would, you know, so that pharmacist wouldn't know if there's something contraindicated with taking the vaccine or whether there should be a specific concern. Uh, that's true to some degree. To some degree, they're obligated to do some history on that person. But you are sort of walking in cold for sure. I mean, it, it is much nicer to know a medical history on, on somebody, yes. Now, was the uh, incentive structure different for this vaccine, the COVID vaccines, than other vaccines? Speaking to Alberta again, um, I don't know what you'd call it, a, a traditional vaccine, like measles, mumps, rubella, or, or uh, a Twinrix vaccine for travel. Um, the, druggist, the, the drug store would bill the province, the provincial insurance company, $13 per dose. Uh, that that's your dispensing fee and so for COVID uh, we build Alberta Blue Cross $25 per dose nearly double hmm. now <clears throat> you were um, you were wanting to say some things about informed consent and so I'm I'm hoping and please take your time with this um, because as a pharmacist you actually would be the person you know, back when you were licensed, actually administering um, dispensing drugs. And so pharmacists are highly trained in what informed consent is. And I think you were here earlier today when Dr. Christian was speaking about the Nuremberg Code and informed consent. So can you explain to us what basically are the elements of informed consent and why they're important? Well, in Alberta, I'll, I'll go back to what Dr. Christian, Dr. Christian said. It is the absolute bedrock of patient care. It ought to be the bedrock of banking, of every single way we serve one another as humans. Um, informed consent in Alberta is, is, first of all, you must have the capacity to make, to understand the information before you consent. If you are given every reason in the world to do something, to buy something, to inject something, to ingest something, um, and you still choose not to, that is your prerogative. That, that is your choice. However, first of all, in Alberta, you must be able to have the capacity to form consent, and then you may give your consent. It's a little bit different in Saskatchewan in that um, in Saskatchewan, there is a duty to ensure that uh, the information is understood and also that a signature is not the same thing as uh, informed understanding and consent. Right. Now, um, I don't know, what is the legal drinking age in Saskatchewan? Is it 18? Is it 18? 19 in Saskatchewan, maybe? We're, we live near Lloydminster, so we're a border city uh, that straddles Alberta and Saskatchewan, and uh, much of the health, um, many of the health mandates that came up, like the legal age to go into a liquor store or whatever, would be dictated by Saskatchewan. However, um, lottery and that kind of thing, the VLT that you'd play while you're drinking was dictated by Alberta. So there's a, it was But, but it's, around, it's yeah. around 18 or 19. 18 or 19, whatever, right. yeah. Okay. So it's just we had some, we had some evidence earlier today about 
you know, how does a 13-year-old be able to consent, that it's just, just not possible. So um, that would speak to the capacity issue that, that you've raised? Yes. Um, even the language that is used to explain uh, side effects to a person, you know, it's just being a nice person. It's just being a decent individual, a moral inv individual, regardless of whether you've taken or no, an oath or not. Explain things in a way that people can understand and try and try and ensure that it is understood. And, uh, and Commissioner, um, I'll just let you know that Ms. McCormick has provided me with a, a screenshot of the Saskatchewan requirements. But I'm going to ask David if he can pull up uh, my screen, which is the Alberta College of Pharmacy requirements. And um, can you speak to us about there's a sentence there generally for a patient's consent to medical treatment to be acceptable and then there's three concepts. Can you speak to those and explain those to us? Well, it, it has to be voluntarily. Uh, you know, that saying about no no jab, no job, I mean, that is coercion. If, if you threaten someone's income or their ability to put food on the table for their children on pay, because you haven't taken a uh, an injection that either you're not aware of, you're not sure of, or have a question about, that is coercion. That is not freely given informed consent. Um, as I, we've talked a little bit about the capacity to form consent and uh, that the patient must be properly informed. I don't know that even a lot of the health professionals have been properly informed. Um, you know, the way medications are promoted and doctors are sometimes educated and pharmacists certainly are educated is through drug reps. A drug rep usually has um, a Bachelor of Commerce degree. They don't have medical training. Um, our our um, conferences and learning opportunities are often sponsored by the, the drug companies. Um, wings of hospitals in different countries are sponsored by drug companies. And as far as informed consent, my understanding is, is that a person has to understand both the risks. Oh, the risks and, and, the, and benefits, the benefits, right. And then yeah. the ingredients. Well, yeah, the ingredients. Um, I don't know that you need to learn how to spell thimerosal or, or some of the ingredients that are in a drug. Uh, but certainly, at the bare minimum, you must be able to in some informal way in your mind at least balance the risk-benefit risk ratio and make a decision for your very own body or, or that of your child or your, that even of your unborn child. Now, you had some conversations with the pharmacist that was at your pharmacy because eventually your pharmacy did get the COVID-19 vaccines. Yes, yeah. I, I will say I wasn't employed at that pharmacy much after uh, the first vaccine doses came in. Uh, but I would ask questions, well, what about informed consent? Because keep in mind, um, I, I had let my license go many years before and came back uh, to work because I wanted to. Um, and there'd be questions, I, I would say, well, what about informed consent? And from an from educated to my mind, very good-hearted people, the answer was things like, well, that's the way we do things now. And I, I mean, you could knock me over with a feather. Um, what, what when about, I asked about things like um, blood clots, for instance, 
you know, because it was in the popular press, people wanted to know. They were, they were worried and they wanted to know the answer. Well, what about blood clots? What do you tell them? Well, blood clots, you can treat blood clots. That, that was the, literally the answer. You can treat them. Well, what, what would the pharmacist do if asked about the long-term safety data by a patient? That's another one that was um, sort of, it was brushed off. It was to the effect of, well, that is how we do things now. Um, one of the pharmacists, again, licensed, experienced, um, you know, upstanding person in the community said, am I worried about it? No, he, he would say, well, it's a, these, uh, first of all, there are no long-term safety data, but am I worried about it? No. So you're inserting an opinion in that, in that um, conversation, which to my mind ought to be strictly the facts. Um, your opinion, I don't know, you guys are the lawyers. If you, if you may try to influence somebody with your opinion on a health decision, I think you've overstepped the line as a professional. No, I appreciate that you weren't licensed at the time so that you did not give any injections. Um, if you had been licensed, how do you think you would have dealt with, with this? I would have quit. There is absolutely nothing. I, I can't think of a situation where I would have prepared a patient and given an injection Firstly, that I had concerns about. Um, if I had concerns about something, I would have sought answers to satisfy my curiosity. And I couldn't have done it. I, I couldn't have done it. Now, as things went on, and you're, you already told us that you weren't employed there for much longer after, can you explain for us what happened? Um, yes. Um, in 2012, uh, we lost our toddler son in an accident on our farm. And so I just felt like when I was wearing masks because they were mandated, I couldn't breathe. I, get, I, I got the sort of the grief um, feelings, you know, a bit anxious and like I couldn't breathe. And so I did try wearing masks at work, but I, I eventually just couldn't. And my doctor actually wrote me an exemption. So I tootled along, they, you know, by then everybody's putting plexiglass up and, you know, oh, putting alcohol on, on um, ballpoint pens to keep the germs off everything, you know, all these crazy things. Um, anyway, my, my husband is 60 years old, um, and um, about six months before I'd lost my job, our 14-year-old son took his own life the day be, or the weekend before school started. So we have lost two children, um, and there was absolutely no way that I could wear a mask. Uh, you know, just the feeling of uh, claustrophobia and whatever. And I say that as if I'm putting a label of mental illness on myself. I don't think that that is. I think that's a very normal reaction given our circumstances. I suspect that it would be mentally ill not to react to the deaths of your two sons and to be able to wear a mask and all this confining stuff. Anyway, my husband is 60 years old. Uh, one day when I was not wearing a mask at the store, I went to help a customer who was his high school bus driver from 45 years ago who said, you know, get your mask on, whatever. And I said, well, I can go back here or find somebody else to serve you or whatever. Anyway, she 
Jason Kenney, our premier in Alberta at the time, instituted a snitch line so you could phone and report people. And so she used Jason Kenney's snitch line to report me for not wearing a mask. Um, the health inspector contacted the pharmacy and on April 29th, 2021, within 20 minutes, despite coming in early to cover the pharmacy so that my superior could have a private uh, doctor's appointment for 20 minutes and then come back to the drugstore, that was the end of my job. I had to go home. Sorry, I turned my mic off. Um, when we were in Winnipeg last week and playing government clips, the, um, when they were talking about snitch lines, they used a much more police state term. They used the term ambassador, that you would be a, an ambassador. And I, I think at the NCI, we're, we're going to adopt that, uh, the ambassador. It just kind of has an Orwellian <laughs> ring to it. So, um, now, so you lost your job. Did you, my understanding is that you filed a complaint with the Alberta Human Rights Commission. Yes, um, I did it on my own. And then I thought, this is ridiculous. That's not going to get anywhere. This is after, for one thing, if you lived in a town the size of ours, um, I knew who had made the complaint against me, and I phoned her and asked her why on earth she did that. And she said, well, I'm sorry, but I mean, she, I don't even know if she's alive anymore. She's got to be close to 90 or over 90. And then I thought, well, I'm, I am going to fight this. I, this. This is wrong on so many levels. This makes no sense. Um, and then I, I did get a lawyer, withdrew my complaint, and he submitted a, a, a complaint to the Alberta Human Rights Commission. Um, and I'd also tried to reason with the College of Pharmacy. And I said, I'm not even a regulated member. Why did I lose my job? And, of course, they, what they did was put pressure on all pharmacists so that even unregulated cashiers, um, everybody would be wearing masks. I don't know what would have happened to my immediate superior if I hadn't worn a mask. So yes, that's been before the Alberta Human Rights Commission. It will be two years in just a few days. Um, we had a conciliation meeting um, to try and work things out, which was not successful at all. Um, in which my lawyer had presence of mind to ask before the Zoom meeting started, because the other party was a little bit late joining, if there was a bias against people like me, people like me. Um, and he, you know, this young, young fellow from the Human Rights Commission who was uh, sort of mediating this, this uh, negotiation, as it was supposed to be, he admitted, he laughed. He said, yeah, well, I guess I have to admit that, yes, we do have a bias against you. Interesting. Now, the importance of the fact, in my understanding is you filed almost two years ago, the importance of that is, is you haven't had a decision yet, number one, and two, your two-year limitation to start court proceedings is just about to run out. Yes, it, it, it is. And my lawyer has written uh, two letters to the Human Rights Commission. I think it's probably about the same across the country, but this is, of course, to the Alberta Human Rights Commission. Um, one last October 28th saying, you know, I'm seeing other cases go by. Why are my cases, he's got five of us within the province of Alberta who have expert testimony and legal representation. Why aren't my cases being, being looked at? Why, why are tribunals not looking, looking at my people, my specific people at the Alberta Human Rights Commission? 
Um, he just wrote another letter just a few days ago, six months later. I think that was April 14th. And your, okay. your lawyer is, April, or is James Kitchen. Yes, yes. And he's coming tomorrow to speak. And um, we, we will file, in fact, we've already filed those letters that he wrote. Right, um, okay. Just to substantiate what you're saying is that they've basically been dragging it out for no reason. Yeah. Well, I think the reason is, in fact, that it times me out so that they've taken my choice to go through the courts away from me. You know, they, you can't do it at the same time. If I failed at the tribunal, then maybe I would go through the court proceeding, which would be more expensive. Um, and I don't know if it would be successful or not. And it doesn't matter. The, the, to me, the fact is that they've taken away my chance to, to advocate for myself, to make my case. You know, it, it's so true that justice delayed truly is justice denied. Right. No, I have no further questions for you. I'll ask if the commissioners have any questions. Thank you for your testimony. I'm just wondering if there was a formal public tendering process for the government choosing which pharmacies would meet the qualifications for giving vaccines to customers. Oh my. <laughs> well, I'm not an expert on that. Um, however, in an, uh, such an unusual situation to my mind in this country, politicians started naming Shoppers Drug Mart. Go to Shoppers Drug Mart to get your drugs. It should be a private business. Why not Guardian Drugs? Why not Apple? Um, and I, I guess I, I have seen some coincidences where Shoppers Drug Mart was bought out by Superstore in about 2013. Um, owned by Westons. Westons and Trudeau's are pretty good friends. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't read any contracts. <laughs> so. And also we heard earlier, I believe from Dr. Christian, that there is an, an assumption that 13-year-olds are able to understand the benefits and possible reactions to the vax. But presumably the adults dictating that children receive the vax would understand the risks. So did you hear or know of any health professionals that chose not to vaccinate a young person on the basis that they, that that youth might not have the capacity to give consent? I did not witness that, no. However, you know, as a mom who, of a, of a mom of a 14-year-old son who took his own life, I would say that young people probably don't have the greatest judgment. Um, our, this was absolutely shocking to us. We'd been at home, of course, without school for months. Um, my son said that this had been the best summer of his life. They went boating. Okay, the cops are going to get me because we totally, we live on a farm and we were not too concerned about all these restrictions. He went boating with his cousins. He could sleep in. Um, he, you know, he read books. Um, went exploring all over our farm for acres and acres for hours every day, um, you know, rode his horse, had the dog. I mean, he didn't have to go to school, so he was having a, a great uh, a great summer. Um, and I, and if, if, so there's an example of a 14-year-old who made a decision that he couldn't undo. And I would suspect that there are lots of teenagers that, may make a decision to take a vaccination that you can't undo. I'd like to thank you for your testimony and I'm sincerely sorry for your loss. Thank you. Thank you. 
and there's still more questions. Thank you for your testimony. Did you witness any of the um, vaccine injections that were going on in either your drugstore or any other drugstore in, in, in your community, like firsthand witness them? The needle going in the arm? No, I didn't. We have an injection room for privacy for people. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, did you, you mentioned that um, the, when you questioned the pharmacist about long-term effects, he didn't seem to be concerned with that. Did, did the pharmacist and then the people around you understand the unique nature of the mRNA vaccines? In other words, this wasn't, a, this wasn't like a measles vaccine. This was something different. Did they know that? I think so. I think it was in, in the press. And as I see, I think the, the sort of the political football that it became, like, we've got to get it, we've got to get it. And the, the, do you remember the competition? Like, uh, it, it was sort of watching this race to get this, this vaccine. There was even uh, different language about it to get the vaccine out there. Like it was a, it was a, an accelerated pace to get that technology uh, developed, get it into needles, get it into your arm. Right? It, it was, it was, uh, it was a real race. It, it was a sensationalized thing. Yeah. So people did know that. Um, as I say, you know, if if COVID sprang up sort of in March of what 2020. March 17th, I think, was sort of the lockdowns in Alberta. Uh, school was done for the rest of the year, et cetera. Um, if it was a, a new disease, surely, surely people must know that if, if the vaccine was a new technology and only around for six months, there could not possibly be any long-term safety data on it. And if you had that question and you asked it, surely it should have been answered honestly that we just don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just want to confirm what I thought I heard you say. Did you say that normally the pharmacy would get paid about $13 for dose for, a, for an ordinary vaccine, but that they were paid $25 a dose for the COVID-19 vaccine? That's almost double? That's correct, and that's Alberta. Um, a pharmacist like... Um maybe Krista Moe, I think, I believe Premier Scott Moe's wife is a pharmacist and they own a drugstore about an hour and a half from Saskatoon, in, licensed in Saskatchewan, could give you a better answer about Saskatchewan information. Mm -hmm. Well, Alberta's information is fine. I'm just, I'm just wanting to make sure I understand this. Does that, does that include the cost of the vaccine? In other words... Oh, oh, oh. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yes, that's a very good question. Sorry. And I, and I believe the other commissioner was maybe trying to get at that. Um, the expenses around delivering the vaccine for the individ individual drugstores in Alberta would be the storage requirements in a fridge and whatever personal protective equipment you had to wear, gloves, a mask, whatever. Um, and so I won't say that the vaccines were provided to the drugstores free because they were provided from the federal government, bought with tax dollars, right? So of course yep. they're not free, but the individual drugstores did not buy them themselves. So they did. They had to go to the expense of purchasing gloves and masks, but they didn't buy the the vaccines. I understand. Right. So, so the increased cost may have been somewhat related to them having to uh, buy PPE that they didn't necessarily need to use for the for a, like a Twinwix vax. Well, maybe I think most pharmacists would likely use gloves, anyways. Maybe 
maybe not a mask during non-COVID, you know, in the before times, I guess you'd say, or before COVID. Mm -hmm. um, they may or may not wear a mask in close contact with people. I think it was for the extra counseling maybe that it took for mRNA injections to talk to people about them. Probably took more time with this new technology. Extra counseling? Well, pharmacists are required to counsel and give, make sure uh, there is informed consent and answer questions around it. Uh, in Alberta, I believe the, dark, the pharmacists were also encouraged to consult their patient lists. So the database that you'd have per patient, which is confidential, and to my mind was never, uh, that was not breached, I'm not saying that at all. But they were encouraged to contact people that would normally come to their drugstore and make appointments to give uh, the mRNA injections. Um, I, don't I don't think that's ever happened, not, not to my knowledge, in any other situation before. So, so just so I'm clear, the pharmacists were cold calling potential clients and were they, they were using their patient list to do that? Yes, and I believe they were encouraged to do that by the Alberta government. Thank you very much. There being no further questions, um, and on behalf of the National Citizens Inquiry, we sincerely thank you for coming and testifying today. Thank you all. Thank you.